Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we thank you for this Shabbat. We thank you for this time that we've had to gather in your presence to experience your shalom this morning, your peace among us. We thank you for the tangible presence of the Lord that has been in our midst today. We thank you for the word that you are about to speak forth into our lives. Father, I pray that you boldly speak into our hearts and our lives today. Use me as a vessel for you, as a tool for your voice to be spoken. Let nothing of me be involved and no words come forth from my mouth except that which you have already ordained for this purpose. Father, we worship you, we thank you, and we glorify your great and holy name. And we thank you for what you are doing among us. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. This week we are in Parsha Miketz. It comes from Genesis 41, 1 through 44, 17. Um, we are in the midst of one of my favorite um, uh, progressions of, of narrative in the Bible. Um, this is the, the story of Joseph. Last week, this week, and next week, we read the story of Joseph. Um, I like the, the, narr- the narrative, the story, the, the discussion of Joseph. I love reading these parshot and seeing the way God operates, and especially seeing, uh, as we've talked about before, all these little things that have to fall in place. Many of them, at least for Joseph's sake, many of them seem to be very negative things. They were, I mean, you can't really, how do you, how do you not look at slavery, being sold into slavery by your own brothers, at being cast into prison because you turned down your master's wife at uh, spending extra time in prison because dudes that you helped out forgot about you. Um, you know, all of these things that happen, how do you not look at that and go, okay, that kind of sucked. That wasn't a lot of good stuff happening there. But as you look at the grander picture, as you step back a little bit and we look at the overarching narrative, we see God setting up something amazing and fantastic, particularly we see the salvation of Jacob's household, the salvation of what began as the birthing of the nation of Israel. Because what we see is Jacob, 75 strong, his whole household moves to Goshen. Now, this is next week's part, I'm jumping ahead of us here. But his whole household moves to Goshen, and, and God in, uh, in, um, insulates the nation of Israel as it grows, insulates them from everything happening and everything that the Egyptians do, because <clears throat> in Goshen is where all the, uh, the, the shepherds live. That's where all the people that dealt with the sheep live. And in Egypt, in Egyptian culture, in Egyptian mind, there were no lower of humanity than those attending sheep. So God called the nation of Israel forth from a family of shepherds and protected them and insulated them from all the mess going on in Egypt in this place called Goshen, where the shepherds were all cast away because they were despicable in Egypt's eyes. And as all of this is going on, what we see is this nation of Israel birthed, and in four weeks, one, two, three weeks, we're going to move into the book of Exodus and see the nation of Israel's official birthing out of what I call the, the prophetic birth canal as they come out of Egypt and come across the, the Red Sea on dry ground and so on and so forth. It's unreal looking at how this all plays out. But it takes all these little scenarios to play out, all of these things that appear to be bad at the moment, but if we just sit back and write it out for a few minutes, we see how great things become on the other end. 
A lot of times as humans, we get bogged down in these things that are horrible. We get bogged down in these bad situations. We get bogged down in financial crisis. We get bogged down in work issues or family problems or whatever. And we miss out on all the things that are happening in the bigger picture because we're so focused on the minutia that we miss out on the bigger picture. And what, what we see with the story of Joseph is this bigger picture playing out. One of the things that I love about Joseph is out of all of the, the foreshadowings of Messiah, out of all of the types and shadows of Mashiach, Joseph is the only one in Scripture that is the foreshadowing of both comings of Messiah, of both the suffering servant and the victorious king, of both Mashiach bin Yosef and Mashiach bin David. Um, and it's really neat to watch how his life plays out. Even, <coughs> excuse me. Even down to the reality that just in the story of Joseph leading up to his reunion with his family, there are some 60, at least 60 distinct correlations between Joseph's life and Yeshua's life, down to being sold for silver, down to being sold out by his own brothers, down to being put on trial for sins he did not commit. All the way through the line, there are some 60 different distinct and unique correlations between Joseph's life and Yeshua's life. Um, it's unreal watching how this all plays out. And then he arises to be, the, the, in essence, uh, he was the viceroy, but he's in the situation of the famine. He was Pharaoh to the people. He was more powerful than Pharaoh. Although Pharaoh was the leader of the land, he was more powerful. Nobody ate, including Pharaoh, unless Joseph said it was all right. Um, it's a pretty good deal right there. To, to go from being a slave and imprisoned, sold by your own family, to being sitting as the most supreme commander of the largest and most powerful nation on the face of the globe in that day is unreal. But we watch how his life plays out in the grander picture, and we see the beauty of Messiah come forth. So again, as I said, this week we're picking up with Joseph. He is now still in prison. The Baker and the, uh, the, the wine taster, uh, whatever you want to call him, uh, different translations translate him in different ways, but they uh, forgot about him. For two years, he was remaining in prison for two years because the guys that he interpreted the dream for, I mean, one of them died. He didn't really forget about him. He was forgotten about. Uh, but the other one, the, the wine taster, completely, the butler, whatever you want, completely forgets about him. For two years, forgets this guy until all of a sudden, Pharaoh has this dream that's perplexing and, and completely drives him nuts. He can't find anybody to interpret it for him. And so Joseph is then finally remembered. And his name is brought forth before Pharaoh. Pharaoh calls him forward from prison. He hears the dream. He interprets the dream. And he tells Pharaoh exactly how to play it all out. Now this is the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit speaking through Joseph in the midst of Pharaoh and those in Egypt. This is the Lord speaking through him. Uh, so for those that don't see the Ruach HaKodesh, and this is a slight little uh, pitch for our Bible study that starts on the 17th of January about the Ruach HaKodesh. For those that don't think the Ruach is apparent in the Tanakh, prime example, Joseph's life. Um, I mean, it's unreal watching these parallels and how this all plays out. So here in Genesis 41, he has now risen to position of authority. He has been given the wife of, uh, of, of a very important man or the daughter of a very important man as his wife. That got awkward for a second there. He was given somebody else's wife. No, he was given the daughter of an important man to be his, uh, one of the priests of Egypt, to be his wife. And through this woman, he has two children that were born, Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, and for those that are unfamiliar with what these mean, turn to Genesis 41 verse 50 says, two sons also had been born to Joseph before the year of the famine came, born to him by uh, Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, uh, priest of On, 
Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh because God has caused me to forget all my troubles at all my father's house. And the second one, he named him Ephraim because God has made me fruitful in the land of my oppression. And so he is finally at a point. Now, we know as we read Joseph's narrative, as we read the story of his life, that we don't see Joseph getting bogged down and tired and upset about the things that are going on. Uh, at least not in the Word. I'm pretty sure that he had moments in the corner of his cell where he was ready to you know, launch at the first person that walked through the gate and beat his head in. But the reality is, is we don't see this whole account of Joseph getting upset about the life that he's stuck in, the scenarios that are playing out, and the way things that are happening are happening for him. But here we see that as he's risen to power, all of these good things are happening, and he's seeing the vision that the Lord had given him for his life become a reality some of which I'm almost certain as a human myself, if I was stuck in prison for all that time, I would start to lose hope in. I would start to lose sight of. I would start to forget about or at least want to forget about the visions and the dreams that I feel the Lord had given me for my life because it's obviously never going to come about. Then all of a sudden it happens and things start to fall in place and here's Joseph risen to the supreme role, uh, role of rulership in Egypt and all of these things are coming, and so he has two children, and the first one he names based off of God redeeming him from these, it says, because God has Manasseh, because God has caused me to forget all my troubles and all my father's house. Now, it's interesting here, because in the Hebrew it does say, all my troubles and all of my father's house. Um, it's interesting here, because he doesn't actually forget his father's house. We know that just down the road in this Parsha, when his brothers stand before him, and he instantly recognizes them. And he goes through this whole scenario. But what we see is that Joseph is thanking God that he has provided a means for him to re find restoration in his life. He's had all of these bad things happen. And here God is restoring and redeeming his life. He has no clue what's about to happen. He knows what he thought was the ultimate of all realities of God's vision for his life becoming a reality has now happened. He's sitting as a viceroy of Egypt. He has no clue that his brothers are about to come in starving and bow down before him just as his vision and dreams showed. He has no clue that that's about to happen. He's settling where he is knowing that the vision that God gave him, the dreams that God gave him have become a reality and all of his hope was not a waste. And he thanks the Lord for having brought him through and restoring him in spite of all the problems and the troubles that he had, in spite of everything that happened because of his brothers and his father's household. And then he goes on to say in the second, he named Ephraim because God has made me fruitful in the land of my oppression. Because God has made me fruitful as a foreigner in a foreign land. Because God has made me fruitful as someone who doesn't belong here, but is exactly where and when God needs me to be. And he has made me fruitful for following through with him and for following what he is building up among me. And then we go to 42, Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. This is finally as the famine has now occurred, seven years of good has gone by. The bad years are upon them. The seven years of famine are upon the world. And it says it's a global famine. This isn't something localized to just Egypt or just the surrounding areas. This is a global famine. People are sending their, uh, their servants from all over the world to Egypt to find food. So here in verse 1 of chapter 42, it says, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, so Jacob said to his sons, Why are you looking at each other? In other words, what are you standing here for? Come on. There's places you could be to find a way to feed your families. Then he said, Look, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some grain for us. 
there so that we'll, we'll live and not die. So here Jacob is. He has no clue. He, as far as he's concerned, Joseph's dead. His favorite son is long gone, not a part of the scene anymore. He has no clue what's happening there. He has no clue what's going on. And he sends his sons to ultimately fulfill the word of the Lord, the promise, the dream, the vision that Joseph had, which ultimately had nothing to do with putting Joseph in a high place, but instead with establishing the nation of Israel so that they could be birthed as a whole nation. Come in 75 strong, leave almost a million strong by the time you factor in those of the nations that had attached themselves to Israel. He says, so verse 3, so Joseph's brothers went down, 10 of them, to buy grain from Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, his, his full brother, Jacob did not send, for he said, an accident might happen to him. In other words, I lost one son, I'm not losing another one. All right, I already lost my favorite son, I'm not losing the one that took his place. It's not going to happen. The sons of Israel went to buy grain among the others who were coming because the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the provider of grain for all the people of the earth. Then Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he made himself unrecognizable to them. In other words, he looked like an Egyptian. You remember the song, the really horrible walk, like he walked like an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. He spoke like an Egyptian. And for all of you that know that song and now cannot get it out of your head the rest of the day, you're welcome. It's a gift from me. Happy Hanukkah. Um, he made himself look like an Egyptian. Uh, they, there was no way they were going to look at it. Now, keep in mind, this is 22 years between him being sold into slavery and him being restored to, Joseph, uh, to Jacob. So this is a span of time of de- two decades before his brothers see him again. Imagine how much you change over the course of two decades. Right? Imagine how much you change over the course of five years. It's been two decades. Now he's seeing, they're seeing their brother for the first time uh, since they wrote him off as dead and they have no clue that this is him standing before them. Then Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he made himself unrecognizable to them. Then he spoke harshly and said to them, where have you come from? From the land of Canaan, they said, to buy grain as food. Then Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them. All of a sudden, keep in mind, up to this point, Joseph was quite satisfied with believing that the fulfillment of the dream and vision the Lord had given him for his life had already come true. I'm certain that at this point, Joseph had assumed that his brothers and his father and their household bowing before him was just a symbolic thing about the nations bowing before him. At this point, he had written his family out of the discussion of fulfillment in this vision. And then all of a sudden, his brothers bow before him, standing there. He's sitting there looking at them as they bow before him, faces to the ground, begging him to provide for them. And all of a sudden, he recognizes them. They do not recognize him, and he remembers his dreams about them. He remembers instantly, not the sorrow, not the pain, not the anger, not all of the negatives that went by because he had already found redemption and restoration from those. He suddenly remembered, out of all of the things, he suddenly remembered the response that his brothers had. And, and as a sarcastic person and, and Joseph being one of the forefathers of the nation of Israel and sarcasm being our primary language as Jews, um, I'm almost certain that in Joseph's head, there was all kinds of sarcastic rants going across in his head. I told you so. I wish you to listen to me back then. This wouldn't ever happen. Imagine if... But at the same time, if they had not listened to him and gotten angry, if they had not responded to his dreams and visions in the way they had, all of these other things that had to happen would not have occurred 
for him to be sitting on that throne at that moment to provide for his family and ultimately to provide a redemption from this famine and what began as the birthing of the nation as a whole. It took all these little distinct moments, all these random occurrences that seem to be horrible in and of themselves, but the total picture becomes something far greater. And it's important that as Joseph looks back at his dream and his vision, he starts to kind of test the ground of how his brothers are going to respond in these different scenarios. He's fishing out to see if his brothers are truly repentant, to see if they have suffered in their own conscience for the the crimes that they uh, had, had caused against him, and ultimately if they had repented and changed, if they'd made teshuvah, if they had changed in who they were and had a humility and a love for each other as brothers that he didn't receive from them in the first place. He's filling this all out to see how he's going to respond from this moment forward. And so he has all of a sudden this, this reminder comes to his head of all of the great things that God has done and ultimately of all of the things that he's doing through, uh, through him and providing for his brothers and everything that's going on around him. bookmarks are acting weird. There we go. So now he's looking at his brothers, um, and as he's looking at his brothers, he's dealing with them, he's talking, he's trying to figure out what's happening. He's already uh, figured out, you know, what his plan is, how he's going to do things. <coughs> Excuse me. He's already figured out how he's going to do things. He's already figured out how things are going to play out, um, and he's kind of playing this big game of chess now, and he wants to kind of fish out how his brothers' hearts are, where their hearts are, whether they've made Teshuvah or not. And so he, he maps out this whole scenario. And as they come to him for grain, um, he gives them their grain that they're asking for. And he takes the money that they have brought from, from Jacob's household to pay for it. And he hides it back in their bags. Now, I'm curious how they didn't notice the difference in the weight of the load that was on their, their donkeys or camels or however they were bringing it, if they were holding it in satchels on their back. I'm curious how they didn't notice that, that the bag seemed a lot heavier than it should have been. You know, I want a five-pound bag of sugar. I get a five-pound bag of sugar and 20 pounds in gold. I'm going to kind of figure out that that's not five pounds on my back. Something's a little off here. So he puts their money back in. They go home. They go back to Jacob. As they open their, their bags, they realize, oh, wait, all the money's here. Man, this dude's going to think we stole from him. He's going to be upset. He's going to wipe us out. And everything that's going on, and Joseph tells him, look, don't bother coming back to me to look for more food unless you bring your, your youngest brother. He said, ask all these questions. Your father alive? Do you have another brother? Testing to see how they're going to respond. He says, don't bother coming back to me until you bring your youngest brother with you. In other words, until I see my brother standing right before me, the brother that I actually love, that actually loved me, until I see him standing here before me, I don't want to see your faces again. And Jacob wasn't going to send him. And so as they go back, he keeps Simeon behind uh, and, and holds him in prison uh, the whole time that the brothers are gone. Jacob's now written off Simeon thing, and he's a lost cause. He's in the same place Joseph is in some ground, uh, some hole in the ground somewhere and done for. And uh, they get hungry again. They go through all of their supplies. They get hungry again. And Jacob goes, all right, go back and bring that money with you and go get us some more food and bring more money to cover what didn't get paid for last time. And they go, look, here he said, we're not coming back without, without our brother, without him here. And so uh, all of this goes down. Reuben stands up and says, I'll, I'll cover for him. I'll make sure he goes back. And Jacob's not all right with that. And, uh, and Judah stands up and says, okay, I will. And not only will I, not only will I protect him and watch out for him, I'll take full responsibility for him. And it's interesting the way it, it's kind of conceived here. He says, I'll take full responsibility for him here and now and eternally. 
whatever happens to him, I'll pay the consequences for it. I'll deal with it. If he doesn't come back, I will deal with it. I will be looked at. I will take the assumption of a murderer on my own hands and deal with it for eternity. So finally, Jacob says, all right, go. Make sure you bring my son back and bring food back. So then he goes off and they go back. And by the time we get to the end of this week's Parsha, what we end up seeing is here are the brothers in front of Joseph again. Uh, And keep in mind, the last time that he met with them, uh, he overheard them speaking in, in Hebrew and he knew what they were saying. They didn't know that he knew what they were saying. They, he realized that their heart was changed at least somewhat. And he breaks down crying so much he has to leave to go hide. But he breaks down crying. He doesn't let anybody know. This time they come back. Benjamin's there with him. And he has to get up. First time he sees his brother, his youngest brother, his actual blood, 100% full brother. He gets up and he runs out of the room. And he's wailing and crying uh, and, 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 and just torn up. But it's not a sadness. It's an excitement. There's a happiness because he's starting to see something happen. He's starting to see more of this restoration picture that he never pictured being a part of things. He had already settled with being okay just sitting on the throne. He didn't realize God had so much more in store. And so all of a sudden he has this uh, interaction with his brothers. And by the time it's all said and done, the end of this Parsha is them being brought back before Joseph again because Joseph hid not only their money back in their bags, but also his divination goblet, um, which uh, he wouldn't use for those purposes anyways, but his divination goblet hides it in their bags and they start to go off. He sends, Joseph sends his servants after him to go hunt them down and they say, okay, well, whoever it's found in, you can kill them for it. And they find it in Benjamin's bag and everybody, oh, no, no, you can't kill him. We told our dad we won't come back with him, without him. You, you got to, uh, Judah goes, I'll give my own life. Uh, I'll give my own life for him. Just don't let him die. And then they bring him back before Joseph. And next week we see the reveal, Joseph revealing who he is. He can't stand anymore. He realizes the change of heart that they've had. He realizes that all of a sudden they have actually fully made Teshuvah over the last 20 plus years. And he wants to be restored to his family and brings Joseph, Jacob and their, their whole household back and provides a place for them, connives this whole plan for getting them separated in Goshen to be insulated. But as we look at this, what we realize is Joseph, Joseph's, he's an interesting character being a foreshadowing of Messiah, both comings. Because what we see here with Joseph is that Joseph was willing to give up his own life to see God's plan and vision and and prophecy for his life become a reality. He was willing to give up his own life for God's will to become reality. He didn't realize what all that meant and the weight that went along with it. He didn't realize the effects it would have for generations to come upon his family because he didn't realize he would ever be restored to his family, but he was willing to give it all up. And then his brothers come in and he goes before Pharaoh, willing to give his life up again to save his family willing to give it all up, put it all on the line to save his family, provides a place for them in order to see them be saved, in order to see salvation brought to the the household of Jacob, in order to see the nation of Israel ultimately be birthed. And as all these little things start to come together and the total picture becomes a reality and the little pieces of the puzzles are all put together and the corners are all filled in and the edges are filled in and the center starts to come together and ultimately this is grand picture that we call the Bible. We realize that every single one of those little pieces were necessary to get us to the point of redemption and salvation where Messiah stood uh, uh, hanging on the stake on the cross and gave his life for us as Mashiach ben Yosef, as the, the suffering servant living out the realities of what Joseph's suffering was merely a foreshadowing for. And what we get to when we look at the overarching message of the scriptures, go to, to Romans chapter 9 verse 1. As we look at the overarching message of the scriptures, as we get to 
a, a calling on the body of Messiah, a calling on believers, both Jew and non, to be willing to lay our own lives on the lines to see others come to salvation, to see others find redemption and restoration, to see the will of God be performed in our lives. And in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, we read Paul says, I tell the truth of Messiah, I do not lie. My conscience is assuring me in the Ruach HaKodesh and the Holy Spirit that my sorrow is great and the anguish in my heart unending. For I would pray that I myself were cursed, banished from Messiah for the sake of my people, my own flesh and blood, who are Israelites. To them belong adoption and the glory and the covenants of the giving of the Torah and the temple service and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from them, according to the flesh, the Messiah, who is over all God. God, blessed forever. Amen. And then he starts to talk uh, through the rest of the chapter. He starts to talk about the importance of Gentiles being brought in and being made a part of Israel. And we skip to verse 4 of chapter 10. And he says, For Messiah is the goal of the Torah as a means to righteousness for everyone who keeps trusting. For Moses wrote about the righteousness that is based in Torah, that man who uh, does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will go up into heaven, that is to bring Messiah down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Messiah up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 12, skipping forward, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, richly generous to all who call on him. Each of us in this room right now, Jew and non-Jew alike, have family members, have close friends that we know do not know Yeshua's salvation, that we know are not bought by the blood of the Lamb, but the blood is willing and ready to be given freely for them just like it has for us. And it is our responsibility to model our lives after Joseph, who was a model and foreshadowing of Yeshua, whom we are to emulate. It is our responsibility to live our lives like Joseph, ignoring the little pieces that seem to get in our way, the bad things that seem to bring us down that we get hung up on because we're not looking at the greater picture and trust that the Lord Almighty who created us and breathed his breath of life and has overcome us with his Ruach HaKodesh is seeing the bigger picture, the greater picture, the grand picture of it all. And trust that we must be willing to lay our lives down, that our friends and our family and everyone we come into contact with that the Lord places in our path knows the truth and the promise of salvation and the restoration of redemption that is available, the restoration of redemption that Joseph saw when he was raised to power as all of his dreams and visions that he had long written off because of the sorrows and the pain and the anguish that he suffered at the hand of his brother and his masters and his jailers and so on and so forth. He had written it all off knowing that there was no way living in a jail cell he was ever going to see the promises of God become a reality. But he continued to serve him no matter what and faithfully gave him all until ultimately he saw the reality that he thought he would never get to experience. And he was able to not only see himself sitting on that throne as God had pr promised and prophesied, but he saw God use him to redeem and restore his people, to bring salvation to his family, and ultimately to see restoration between brothers. The reality is, is we are all humanity. We are all created in the image and likeness of God. We are all living with the blood, the DNA of God himself who breathed his Ruach Haim, his breath of life in us, flowing through our bones. I don't care what corner of the globe you came from. We are all related. And that means we are all responsible for one another, making sure that each and every person we can possibly share the message of Messiah with gets to hear it and have opportunity to accept Messiah.
It is our job to ignore all of the little things in life, all of the pieces that we think are minutia that we don't realize just yet. I mean, I look back at my life and I see all of these things that have happened over the course of the years and I see all of these things that have happened that I look at and go, man, that was a really bad time. That was not a good place to be. As I look at our congregation over the last five years and change, and I look at the different getting kicked out of here when we least expected it after uh, as a congregation feeling the Lord telling us that this was our home, this property we used to rent here, that this property was our home and we were going to be here, and this was the place that he had ordained for us, and then getting kicked out because we were a Messianic Jewish synagogue and sent elsewhere and we go off. And then we're uh, in this other facility that didn't quite meet everything we wanted to, really wasn't that great looking, but it served its purpose, it met our needs, and the Lord uh, uh, prospered us, and we grew, and things were happening, and then we came back here again, and everything happened, and now we're at where we are now, where we're looking back going two years, and we haven't seen what we thought was going to happen happen, and we haven't finalized the purchase and paid off the property like we felt was going to happen, but ultimately we see the grander we're waiting for, the grander picture to become a reality, which is that God's promises, His Word, His vision for our lives and our calling and for our congregation never comes back void, and as long as we faithfully walk with him, he will faithfully do what he says he is going to do. And it's important that we live our lives day in and day out with that same mentality. Because listen, there's not a person in this room that God doesn't want to use to bring salvation to others. The Great Commission is something that is upon each and every one of us. It's not upon the Jew or the Gentile. It's not upon the priest or the king. It's not upon the, the, the rabbi or the pastor or upon the evangelist or the worship leader or the youth leader. It's upon the blood of Messiah, those that carry the blood of Messiah, that are washed by the blood of Messiah, that carry the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. It is upon us to go and make disciples of all men, a mercy in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is our call, our responsibility, our purpose. And we may not see the grander picture of how it will all become a reality, but as long as we walk faithfully like Joseph, even to the degree of being put in prison, which by the way, a number of our ancestors in faith, they dealt with that. Peter, Paul, I try my hardest not to make the Peter, Paul, and Mary joke, but Peter, Paul, uh, Stephen, Stephen, we talked about last week, literally stoned to death for his faith. How many of us are really willing to lay it all down on the line like that? But that's what we're called to. And I hate to break it to you, like I said last week at the end of the message, what they went through is candy compared to what's awaiting the body of Messiah today. Read the end of the story. Read Revelation. Read the end of Daniel. Read through parts of the prophets. Read through Yeshua's words in the Gospels. Things are going to get really crappy. If you think it's bad now, give it a couple of years. Give it a little bit of time. It's going to get worse. It's going to become harder to stand in faith fervently. But when that happens, it'll be all the more important that we do so. It'll be all the more important that we don't get bogged down in minutia. And the only way that's going to happen is if we are truly disciples now. If we are truly walking and living our lives like Joseph. Giving God the glory and walking faithfully with him no matter what. Like Job, no matter what happened, walking faithfully with him. We must know without a shadow of a doubt that our purpose is to be a light into the world around us. And we must walk faithfully in it day in and day out no matter what. We may only see little snippets of what the Lord is doing in our lives. We may only experience things piece by piece by piece. But there will come a day where we will look back on our lives standing with the judge of all creation. 
And he's going to be taking us to, bringing us to account for all of our actions for or against his name. And I don't know about you, but when that day comes, I want to make sure I'm on the right end of that conversation. I want to make sure that I hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear, get away from me, I knew not who you were. I don't want to cry out, but I did all these things in your name. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my longing. That's my desire for each and every person who is a part of congregation Mayim Chaim. That is my desire for every person that the Lord allows me to interact with. That the light of Messiah will shine off of me in such a fervent way that lives will be changed so that more and more people will have the opportunity to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my desire for each and every one of you. But it takes us living like Joseph now, living like Messiah now, living like Peter now, living like Stephen now, living like Paul now, willing to lay it all on the line. No matter what happens, trusting that God is in control and he is doing something no matter what. Speaking his truth at all cost. Living righteously at all cost. That will impact the world around us. That will make it where when the time comes and we stand before our Heavenly Father, we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I believe those are words that Joseph will hear because when it was all said and done, no matter what happened, he never lost faith. He never blamed God. He gave him his all no matter what. Avraham, Father of mercies, God, I pray here and now that you begin, even as we speak, to build up the chazak, the strength, the courage to stand for you. Father, that you begin to put a burden upon our hearts to faithfully walk our lives out for you, even when we can't see the fullness of what you're doing, Father, but knowing and trusting that you are at work. Father, I pray that we walk faithfully with you in the good and the bad, that we give you our all, and that most importantly, when you give us opportunity that we boldly proclaim the truth of your salvation before all men, no matter what. Father, use us for the good and glory of your kingdom and let your name be raised on high because of our lives and what you are doing in us. Father, we love you, we worship you, and we thank you for this holy Shabbat, for this time you have given us to be ministered to in your presence, resting in your presence, having a holy convocation in your presence. Continue to breathe upon us, Father, your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, O Lord, and move in our midst. Amen.